Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Well, Happy New Year. It's so good to be together in worship as we begin a new, a new year, a new, new season for us. And today we begin a new sermon series as well. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to the second chapter of Mark. Mark chapter 2, and we're going to be in the text in just a little while, but we're going to do a little, little digging first before we, we get there to the, to the pay dirt of this text. First, got to tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Craig McMahon. Craig is the university minister at Mercer. One day he's out jogging, he's doing a run, he's a fitness guy, and he goes out running all the time and he's running through this neighborhood. And it's, it's on trash pickup day. So he's noticing in front of all of the, the houses, the cans are neatly lined up, the bags of trash are bound and ready to be hauled away. And he comes across this one house where the pile of trash is larger than the others. It looks like maybe they had cleaned out an attic or maybe a garage, done some spring cleaning or whatever. And, you know, there were a broken chair, an old bed rail, like a lamp that was broken and a lampshade all busted up, you know, just a big pile of trash and bags and, and debris. And, and in the middle of the trash pile, as he's running, he notices this large portrait of Jesus. And you know the, you know the picture probably that, that he saw. It's the one, you know, white Jesus, you know, with the long flowing hair, you know, the blonde eye, or blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. Looks like he's on the cover, like a surfing magazine Jesus. And he sees this Jesus there and he stops for a moment. In fact, can I just tell you a story inside this story? The picture that he saw in the trash pile that day reminds me of something that happened in another church where I was serving in Tennessee. You know, this is the picture of Jesus that hangs on virtually every Sunday school classroom wall in the history of ever, right? You know the one I'm talking about, right? Well, this was on every classroom in our building at that church. And the thing is, how you image Jesus matters. Because how you view God has a shaping power, not only in what you believe and understand about God, but in what you do about it. Well, in that in that church, they were everywhere, these, these portraits. And one of them was in our nursery. You know, surfing Jesus, white Jesus, long flowing hair Jesus, blue-eyed Jesus. And I thought, you know, let's, let's stretch a little bit. So 
without telling anybody. And in preschool, especially, we have, we have some of our elementary school kids in here. When you're a child, the images have a shaping power even more powerful than when we become, become old and, and, and we have our images already locked in and need to be shaken up a little bit. Well, I said, let's, let's have some fun a little bit. So in the middle of the week, without telling anybody, I, I, uh, I took surfing Jesus down and I printed out and framed Asian Jesus. You know, because every culture has some way to express or image their understanding of Jesus and it's usually embodied in their very essence themselves. And so I put Asian Jesus up. It stayed up for about one Sunday and then somebody quickly noticed it and took it down and put back up white Jesus. So the next week when nobody was looking, I printed and framed African Jesus. It stayed up for about a Sunday. And then before sunrise on Monday, it had been taken down and put back up surfing Jesus. I did this for what I could find in every culture. It went on for a few weeks. I was messing with them. Because how you image Jesus matters. It has a shaping impact on not only what you think, but what you do about what you think. Well, now back to the trash pile and surfing Jesus, big portrait of him there. Craig stops running for a moment and he begins to wonder, who would throw Jesus away? I mean, who's going to trash Jesus? And he thought for a moment there and some, some thoughts began to emerge in him then just as they are in me now. Maybe there was something wrong with the picture, right? I mean, maybe it had gotten wet and had some mold on it, and you have to get rid of it because of health issues, or maybe it's the opposite of that kind of reason. Maybe the person who put it there is just done with it all. Maybe they tried for a while, but something happened, and maybe a series of somethings happened, and they decided, I can't do it anymore, and they're getting rid of every vestige of any memory that reminds them of the thing that they're walking away from. Maybe. Or, what if it's neither of those things? And what if it's somewhere in the middle? What if, what if the person who put Jesus in the trash pile was getting rid of a version of Jesus that no longer served the needs of his or her growing and expanding understanding about the enormity of God's love that was embodied in Jesus. Sometimes we have to let go of limited ideas that we have about God in order to embrace the God who is always bigger than our ideas. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes it takes losing your religion to find your faith. Have you ever had to let go of any part of your religion in order to actually, truly, authentically find your faith? Now I've told you already, a while back I told you I'm pretty fond of this TV series, The Chosen. But I already told you about the disclaimer. I don't like film versions of anything biblical or Jesus-y. 
Because usually, in my experience, I've had a long run of disappointments with low budget, bad acting, you know, terrible writing that somehow diminishes the very, very truth or beauty of what's in the written word. And so I've, I've been unsatisfied for a long time with film and, and TV that attempts to encapsulate Jesus. But there's something about this show. And I already told you about that. There's something different about this one. Yeah. There's something splendidly simple where the focus is of a version of Jesus, an image of Jesus that I see in the gospels. And it's a, an image of Jesus I can get behind because it's, it's the Jesus that reminds each person in each story that's talked about of his or her inherent dignity, value, and worth in the eyes of Jesus. It, it reminds every broken person who has been fractured by life or, or every person who has fractured life when they forget their inherent dignity, when they tend to forget their inherent worth and value in God's eyes, it's Jesus who shows up in scriptures and in these episodes we're watching to remind them that they are worth God's care and love. So it's a Jesus I can get behind, but something happened a few weeks ago that I gotta tell you about. So I'm watching this series and now it comes into the third season and somewhere several months back, they released a documentary called Unfiltered, Gen Z Reacts to the Chosen. It was made by the same filmmakers as The Chosen and they took nine complete strangers who are all in the same generation, all Generation Z. These nine were, you know, 19, 20, 21 years of age and were from every imaginable background and life experience. They were male and female, black, white, brown, gay, straight, from whole and healthy homes, from broken and, and fragmented homes. Some had done time in jail, others had been thrown away by parents who taught them early on that they had no value, no worth, no dignity. But the thing that they had in common was a precarious relationship they had with religion. Some of them were Christians, some of them were non-Christian, and some of them were ex-Christians. They who had been so wounded by the church itself, wounded by organized religion and the representation of Jesus, diminished images of Jesus, that they had walked away from it all. Well, they were brought together and they were, they were to binge watch the show. They didn't know what they were watching. They thought it was gonna be some new documentary or some new Netflix series. So they agreed to it. They showed up and they watched the whole thing. And I'm sitting in my office one afternoon, doors closed, watching these kids from every kind of experience and every, every expression of brokenness. And they're watching this Jesus, this expression of Jesus come to the brokenhearted and welcome them and embrace them and heal them and affirm them and give them hope and forgiveness in life. And these kids 
are weeping as they're watching. And I am in my, I've closed the doors, I've locked the doors because I don't want anybody to see that I am weeping. Watching these kids see for the very first time an expression of God's love that is that pure, that is that whole and that hopeful. And two things happened in this pastor's heart at the same time. On the one hand, I was filled with a sense of gratitude because that is why I said yes to follow him years and years ago. It's because of that kind of encounter in brokenness and fear and uncertainty where Jesus met me. I told you about that back in December as a lonely five-year-old scared to death in a hospital waiting room week after week after week. It was that Jesus who showed me that there was somebody paying attention to the broken in this world. So on the one hand, it it filled me with great gratitude because that's why I said yes to a call to tell everybody in whatever kind of way I can about that kind of love that is scandalously wide and unthinkably deep and can include everybody. But at the same time, in the same pastor's heart, I was brokenhearted because I was aware in that moment as I was watching these kids see for the very first time the possibility that there is a God who actually loves them and, and thought that they were a good idea when they were born. It broke my heart because I know that millions of people will never meet that kind of Jesus. Partially because they're never told, we never tell them about it, but also because the Jesus that we tell them about sometimes is such a distortion of the real thing that they would rather walk away from it than experience the newness of life that's possible. And the the stats back me up on this. Do you know that right now, between one-fifth and one-third of Americans, 30% of Americans, identify as what we call nuns. We've talked about nuns before. When asked what religious affiliation do you ascribe to, given all the answers, they say none. I am unaffiliated in any kind of way to a religious system. What's staggering is that a good number of the nuns are actually duns. They were those who were affiliated, but through a series of experiences and encounters for whatever reason, dozens of reasons why, They unaffiliated, they walked away and said, I am done with the whole thing. One of the researchers, um, Ryan uh, Burge, had this to say. For every old religious person who dies, they are being replaced by a younger person with no religion. So while 30% of the overall population are nuns, Among Gen Z, it is 40%. I I just want you to let that marinate for a minute in you. While the overall population is about 30% none, and some of those done, among our youngest generation, is 40% and growing. And I'm telling you that that is a a data point that should constitute something of an emergency for the church. An emergency for the church. Because the truth 
of the matter is if, if we continue down this trend, it's worse than just shrinking churches. The very nature and character of the gospel continues to go unchecked and distorted until all that is out there are broken images that don't reflect the real thing. Listen, what do you do when good religion goes bad? A couple of thoughts here. The profound reality that gives me more hope than despair is that the research that I'm talking about Yes, it demonstrates that people are leaving the church in America in droves, but here is the best news of all. While, while they may be leaving the church, they're not necessarily leaving faith. Do you get that? That while they may be leaving the church and may be distorted versions of Jesus and broken expressions of the institution of religion, they are leaving with a desire for something deep. They still have a craving for transcendence, for mystery, for spiritual fulfillment and inspiration. There's still a deep, deep hunger and thirst for transformation, for renewal, for forgiveness, for hope. Still a human desire for community and belonging. And the trouble is, they're longing for it so much that if they don't find it in church, they leave the church to find it wherever they can. Because this is a human need. It's put there by God. We were made with a kind of divine homing beacon that draws us Godward. We were created through him and for him, the writer of Colossians would say. This is why Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And brothers and sisters, I am telling you that while the church in America begins to shrink and while many leave the church because of experiences that have left them bereft of hope, they are not leaving the human need for transcendence and relationship with their divine maker. And the, tr the truth is that gives me more hope than anything because we can do something about what we see happening. What do you do when good religion goes bad? I want you to think of somebody right now. Because every one of us in this room, everyone watching online, every one of us knows somebody who walked away. And most of us can probably draw a direct line from their walking away to some negative experience that they had with a church or with a person who represented the church or religious leaders who have scandalously misrepresented faith. I want you to think of them right now in your mind. Can you? Because it was never intended to be this way. This, this is what led Brennan Manning to famously speak so many years ago these words, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. 
That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And do you realize that the irony is that religion was intended to do the opposite? At the very heart of the word religion is a Latin core, which is ligio, which is at the core of the word ligament. Religion was meant to re-ligament those who have been separated and broken and scattered and instead, in many ways, many times over, the church has been culpable in the scattering of that which we were meant to be bringing back together. Am I preaching to anybody today? Okay. Are you feeling a little bit of a knot in the pit of your stomach when I talk about this? Good, good. Don't let it go yet. Because the truth, the truth is we've got something to do about it and we can do something about it. There is this beautiful story in the gospel of Mark. I want us to turn our attention there now. Mark chapter two, beginning in verse one. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So, so many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now we could go on and talk about how this story resolves. He gets in a little bit of a discussion with the scribes. Eventually he proves what he's saying by healing the man. He gets up, he walks away, but I don't want us to skip to that point and miss the great point. We're told that they brought this man who needed Jesus, longed for the kind of healing that only Jesus could provide, would benefit from the life and the renewal that only Jesus could give him. And his friends bring him to the place where Jesus is said to be. And the crowd is so great inside and around the house that they can't even get inside the door. I want you to pay attention to that fact. These were not bad people. They wanted Jesus too. They were listening and hanging on every word that he taught they were so interested that they, they crowded in the door. But the trouble is sometimes the crowd who are interested in Jesus can become the very obstacle that keeps the most desperate to find Jesus from finding Jesus. You know, long ago, we weren't called Christians. We were originally known as people of the way, right? People of the way, the, the way of Jesus. We lived in a particular kind of way. So you were members of the way. But I'm just wondering this morning, what... What do you do when people of the way are simply in the way? What do you do when people of the way are simply in the way? That is what this entire series is going to be about. Now listen, I need you to dig deep with me these next five weeks because if a religion is healthy, 
then a religion that is healthy is made up of, of people who are willing to be loving critics and critical lovers of their own religion. That means we don't go out and brandish our faith as a weapon to, to slay the rest of an unbelieving world. No, we don't use our faith to go out and defend God. God needs defending, it has been said, kind of like you defend a lion. You know how you defend a lion? You get out of the way. If we are to be a religion that is healthy, then we must be willing to have the courage to be critical lovers and loving critics of the faith that we hold so dear. Why? So that those who are desperate to meet the real Jesus, not a distorted version of Jesus, not a perverted version of Jesus, but the real Jesus, so that they may be able to meet him and us not be in the way. Yeah. So the good news is we have some help along the way. We have some data that's gonna help us. There are groups of people who study us and we trust them. They are reputable groups like Pew and, and, and Gallup and, and Barna and the Public Religion Research Institute, right? And they make some observations that have been stunning. And I've shared a little bit with you about these along the way. Two in particular that I want you to go home and read. The first is from the Public Religion Research Institute. It's called Exodus. Came out just a couple of three years ago. Exodus, why Americans are leaving religion and why they are unlikely to come back. I want you to read that. It's gonna shape much of what I preach these next five weeks. The other is more pointed toward the young and why the young are leaving is by Barna, the, the CEO of Barna, uh, David Kinneman. It's called You Lost Me. Why young Christians are leaving church and rethinking faith. Now, each of these two landmark studies tell us some things about ourselves. It holds up a mirror to how religion is evolving in this country that we need to take a sober look at. For example, each of them identifies six reasons that the research reveals people are leaving. What better way than to ask the very ones who are leaving? Why'd you leave? What happened? What went wrong? And the PRRI, the Public Religion Research Institute, identifies these six. They said, among those studied, thousands of people studied, we left because the church was too focused on politics, on partisanship. Too, they blur the lines between the separation of church and state, so we're out. Others said because of a traumatic event in their lives and the church was found the dereliction of duty in becoming the presence of a healing Lord to them. And in some cases, the trauma actually happened in the church, which is why others, 19% said they left because of the sexual abuse scandals that have come to fore these recent years. Another reason is because of the experience of negative religious teachings about the treatment of gay and lesbian people. Number five, family that never was religious growing up make it easy for families to leave when they, when they are adults. And number six, some stop believing in the teachings of their faith as children. And I, now, while we could talk about that all day long, and we will, truth of the matter, that last one, I, 
they stop believing in the te- what teachings? Because if we are people of the way, then the only teachings that matter are the teachings of Jesus, the things that he said to do and to not do and how to love and love well. So what part of the teachings of Jesus did they leave? Did they, did they leave because of the love your neighbor as yourself part? Or the love your enemy or forgive your debtor? Or if you have two coats and you see someone who doesn't have a coat, give them one of yours. I mean, what, what teachings of Jesus would cause somebody to leave? And the truth of the research is it's not the teachings so much as perverted versions of the teachings that have caused people to say, well, if that's Jesus, well, then I'm just gonna leave him with the outgoing trash. The thing is, the other study group from Barna, David Kinneman, identifies six reasons as well, but they're a little bit different. There's some overlap and they sound a little bit like this. The young among Gen Z and younger millennials left because they said this church is too safe and overprotective. Like we try to guard the kids against everything the big bad world out there will do to harm them instead of inspiring them to works of justice that actually repair the world that is big bad and doing harm. So if the church is too safe, I can find meaning and purpose outside the church, so I'm out. Or some have said because it's too shallow, others said because of the anti-science or another way to put it, an anti-intellect within some churches. Some have said because of unrealistic teachings about sexuality. Others have said because it's too exclusive and others have said because of an unwelcoming nature in churches to questioning and to doubting. And because I can't have a safe place here to question and doubt my faith, then I'll go where I can, see. What this series is about is attempting to address those very real problems. I believe that God has laid upon my heart this series. And what I want to do is synthesize in the next five weeks, many of these reasons that research tells us people are leaving. And I wanna hold that data up and hold the word of God up. And then in a spirit of humility with one another, ask that the spirit might reveal something to us about what the church must do to get out of the way so that those who need to see him can see him. But the problem is that's gonna take some courage. That's gonna take some patience. And over the next few weeks, here is what I'm going to tell you. Next week, part number two is gonna be called When My Religion Is Way Too Easy. Sometimes it's so easy, it's just not even compelling. Sometimes it's so simple, so easy. Why would I? Week number three, the part is called When My Religion Is For and Against the Wrong Things. Beloved, You and I only have a license to be for and against the things that Jesus was for and against. And sometimes we get it wrong. Part four, when my religion makes no room for questions or doubt, do you know how many people I personally know who have friends who have left the faith because they were somehow shown that in their church environment, their questions and their doubts and their their curiosity is unwelcome. We're gonna talk about what it means to construct faith, deconstruct faith, and let God reconstruct it. We're talking in week number five about when my religion is unanchored. And this especially is for parents 
of children. And I want you to make sure every one of you who has a child in this church comes to this particular sermon because we have to be honest and talk truthfully about what it means to simply let our kids parent us and to build no foundation upon which they can stand so that when the storms of life come, they're not blown about and collapse under the the weakest pressure. And then week number six, when my religion hurts. And we're gonna talk truthfully about people that you and I love And maybe you're even in this room and you have been hurt by religion. You have been spiritually abused by religion or by individuals in religion. And we're going to talk about the beauty of the healing that is available in Jesus Christ. The truth is this will be maybe one of the most important sermon series we will ever have. But it's going to require courage. And I want you to invite everybody that you know to be a part of every one of these series, these sermons, and here's why. I want them, I want you to bring your questioning friends, your seeking friends, your doubting friends, those who have given up or are just about to give up, those friends and family members who at most come with you on Christmas and Easter, I want you to get them here. Beg them to get here. Buy their lunch afterwards. Because I want them to overhear me saying some things to you. Do you know that Augustine said that the gospel is best heard when it's overheard? And I want them to see some pastor somewhere telling some church somewhere who he loves that it's gonna take some courage to be critical lovers and loving critics of ourselves. And why? Because the sake of the gospel is at stake. Am I preaching to anybody today? Now listen, listen. Here is why. Because in the story that we just read, something magnificent happens. They bring him this man who is paralyzed, who needs Jesus, but the the people of the way are in the way. So four of them climb on top. They begin to remove tile. They begin to dig through the mud, the thatch, the straw to get to a hole that can widen to allow them to lower their friend. And it's making a mess hearts of clay are falling on the head of our Lord. And he looks up and they lower him to Jesus. And something magnificent happens in verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. They lower him to the ground. They're still on the roof. Jesus, when he saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Beloved, even if the church has been part of the problem, my hope is that we can be part of the solution. This church, I don't don't care what any other church down the road is doing or not doing. I'm talking about this. I don't pastor any other church. I'm talking about this church can be part of the solution where our faith can somehow muster the courage to dig through, break through, even make a mess out of, the, out of the very structure that has given us protection all these years. Do you know it takes courage to make a mess out of the thing that has protected you and kept the rain off your head, has protected you and given you structure your whole life? Sometimes it takes courage to lose part of your faith or to lose part of your religion to gain your true faith. And that is what we're going to talk about. You're welcome. 
Stay tuned. <laughs> now, <laughs> go, listen, are you with me or not? Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, because your pastor doesn't need placating applause. Your pastor needs to know that you hear me. And this love that's available in Jesus is so worth it that we're gonna muster some courage to ask hard questions and to allow the spirit to do something in and among us that changes the trajectory of all these trends I'm talking about. And it starts right now. It might be that you're even here today and you're hearing some of this and you're like, you know, I've, I need a place like that. I need to be with sisters and brothers in the faith who are willing to be that kind of courageous church. I need to be in a place where I can bring my unfinished business in my imperfect life. And I'm not gonna be judged for it. I'm not gonna be condemned for it. I'm not gonna be shamed because I'm still undone. Maybe today you simply need to offer a simple prayer to the Lord. And it doesn't have to be flowery. It doesn't have to be sappy sweet. It, does, it just has to be real. And maybe it sounds something like this, God, I, he's, he's telling the truth. If he's not telling the truth about anybody else, he's telling the truth about me. I know that there are parts of my religion that I've already lost, and I am scared to death that that somehow means I've lost my faith. But if it's true that I can hang on to you and still let go of the parts that have misrepresented you, then I'm in. I'm in. And I ask you to take my life, to restore me, to forgive me of the places where I have broken life and, and repair me. And I will follow you wherever you go. <laughs>